Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. On a much lighter note, Scott Pollard, this is the best news we're going to share all day. Eight plus days after the most frightening scene that we've seen in modern NFL times, DeMar Hamlin today is home in Buffalo, out of hospital care, continuing his rehabilitation. Who would have thought? I mean, the the way that the players reacted live, I was I happened to be watching it live, and the way the players reacted live, I thought there was no chance he was even going to be alive. I like the the way they react because when you're on the field, you're on the court, you see it, you hear the injury, you know. Were you watching with your son for for just? Clarity here. Scott's son is an up-and-coming high school football player in Carmel right now. Yep. Uh, He was watching with me, and we were sitting there like, whoa. Because you look at the other players, again – we we knew we you know when you're when you're on the court and somebody blows out a knee or or turns an ankle or something and you can hear it and you know and so when I'm watching the other players after this happened and you watch the replay and he fall gets up and falls down and everybody just loses their minds everybody's crying immediately the thought goes to the worst possible outcome and just again because of, of the player's reaction so yeah very scary and so glad so happy that he's out of the hospital just over a week later it's, it's unbelievable and it i loved how uh you know thoughts and prayers became real yes and everybody nationwide and worldwide was like let's do this his foundation that had a goal of twenty five hundred dollars what last i heard was over eight million yep i mean just like that's love that that's yes. humanity and that's who we really are regardless of what people log into social media to yell at each other and scream at each other and say awful things to each I other know. that they wouldn't Such a say waste in person of time. you would never say these things in real life to somebody no nope. but they they think that social media is the the place that they get to do their their horrible disgusting things and and threaten people whatever they want to do the reality of humankind came out this week and we finally saw what everybody on the planet really is like with the exception of a few marginal people most everyone on the planet humans are good people and want good things for other people amen and i, and I love, love that it. this took place i love that it brought humanity together and i love most of all that he's out and, and what and a, on the process what of a healing. scene it will be if the bills continue this postseason run and just before kickoff, DeMar Hamlin <laughs> walks out of that tunnel, you know, obviously in street clothes with his jersey. I mean, there will not be a dry eye in the nation. Again, right now, we are going to go to the post. Goldenblack.com. Alan Karpik is on the mower shop from Fisher's Hotline. Alan, thank you for waiting here. We have sat and we have marveled with the latest Matt Painter masterpiece a backcourt of freshmen, a center that two years ago no one wanted coming out of Florida. The word on Zach Eady was, well, he's a big kid from Toronto who just averaged four points in prep ball. He's more of a hockey and baseball player. Uh, Your sense of being along for this ride very closely, this coaching job for Matt Painter, what has been the key in the early going for the third-ranked team in America? 
Well, I want to first uh, express the same sentiment on Damar Hamlin. I thought you guys said that very well. And uh, let's hope that what an amazing story. And uh, not to put it anywhere close to the same context, because it's not. I'll sure. be very, very clear here. Sure. But Purdue's, Purdue's ride has been a good one. Uh, and if you're a Purdue fan, it's been uh, enlightening and, and inspiring, uh, certainly. You know, it's a funny thing in college basketball, as you guys know, that uh, in the last week, Purdue rode the roller coaster. They lost a tough game to Rutgers in a, in a very competitive game that, uh, that Purdue didn't play as well as it needed to, maybe. But Rutgers also played very well, made the plays down the stretch right. to win. But uh, you have to you have to be appreciative of the job that Matt Painter's doing he and, and this staff is doing because you're talking about three guys that not a lot of other folks wanted. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they're all now – all Big Ten level. I'm not saying they're all going to be first team All Big Ten, but they are all Big Ten level players. Uh, I think uh, sooner than later, certainly Braden Smith and Zach Edr and Fletcher Lawyer uh, at times has been, especially of late, He's been, been clutch. He's so been clutch, clutch. Alan. So, so yeah, so it, it, it's a good story so far, and and I think Purdue's in a good position to have a really really good year. We already know that, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, it's a funny league, the Big Ten, and how it's played out so far. Uh, you know, uh, Illinois going to Nebraska last night and just mopping the court with them is impressive. <laughs> yeah. Again, it can all change in a week, and, and yet Purdue is uh, in very good position. Alan Karpik on the mower shop from Fisher's Hotline. Charlie Clifford to Wish TV, Scott Pollard. Alan, I defer to all post-conversation to literally the man to my right who was sent into games to stop Shaquille O'Neal. Scott Pollard, you've watched Zach Eady. Alan, you've been along for this ride. Gentlemen, your thoughts on what is, for my money, the most interesting story in the college game this season? Alan is a guy that was uh, the the kamikaze pilot, so to speak, (laughs) as as Charlie said, to go in and and prime Shaq and, and try to slow him down. What are teams doing to Zach? And what's his demeanor? First of all, I, I, it's a two question. What are teams doing to try to slow him down? And second of all, is he one of those guys that's like, hey, coach, coach me up. Yeah, loud, kind of a KG guy. Like, I'm going to be here and, and I want you to do this. Or is he more of like a Tim Duncan guy where it's like, hey, I'm going to absorb this. I'm going to just work and work and work. I think I know the answer, but I want to hear it from you. Well, I, I think uh, first um, he is he is very much a – uh, I call him kind of a kind of a point guard for a center in terms of understanding the game and knowing the flow of, of what needs to be done and what needs to get better. He's a guy. He is a reputation, and I've seen it. To, is a hard, extremely hard worker. We've seen what he's done in terms of Scott. You've seen it to, from a basketball standpoint. How much better he's gotten in the last year in terms of just the little things. That to, yes, I know he's playing more minutes, and I get all that. But he's worked on his footwork. He's worked on his jump hook uh, he's worked on everything that he's had to work on and yes it's a uh, it's an amazing story from that standpoint but you know he's just got a great personality he's very hard worker he's very soft-spoken um doesn't draw a lot of attention to himself but he just plays and i i think the guys in the team extremely respect that a great deal he's kind of he's a leader because of because of uh, not only his longevity on the basketball team only mason gillis and brandon newman have been around longer uh, at Purdue, I should say. So that that you know is a very unique situation. He's a very unique guy, and, and he loves to talk basketball. That's the thing. He understands <laughs> the game, and he understands you know when he's when he's throwing the ball, uh, uh, passing the ball out of the double team. Uh, he knows what he's doing. And and the answer to your first question of what are teams trying to do? Great question. <laughs> he very kind of kind of took a different approach last game of not doubling. 
hmm. not trying to rough him up in the second half. Uh, and they, they paid for it because because uh, uh, Braden Smith and Zach E were just having a it was a clinic in the second half in terms of just throwing the ball up to the rim and and Zach E for the most part just just slamming it through. And that, that's a credit to them. But the thing that Matt Painter always talks about with Zach Eady, which is really an interesting thing, is what great condition this guy is in. Right. He runs, he, you know, at 7-4, I don't want to, and, and Scott, uh, you, you have to truck that big body up and down the court. <laughs> extremely difficult. But to do that even at 7-4 and stay in the game uh, in an offense that Matt Painter likes to get up and down the court, he's got a point guard, Braden Smith, that loves to get up and down the court. And uh, that's been probably one of the most impressive things is he can play 30 minutes a game, and he does it, uh, and he doesn't seem to run out of gas. Well, I got to credit the strength and conditioning coach then because that's behind yeah. the scenes Good work. Call. That's both Zach and the strength and conditioning coach, and Zach listening to him. Because, and I'll even go one step further. That's also a, a condition that is only present in multi-sport athletes. When you grow up playing m- multiple different sports, you're working different muscle groups. I'm tired of seeing players that started to focus at, at 10 to 12 years old into one sport. Refreshing, and they, won- and they wonder why yeah. at the age of 19 they have chronic knee problems or they tear up their elbow because they've only played right. one sport. And knowing that his background in, in multiple different disciplines makes him coachable. He's got co- he's had uh, different coaches from different sports telling him what to do uh, as he upbring and then someone had to talk him into playing basketball which is hilarious <laughs> but also reminiscent of another guy that I played against that's my age Tim Duncan and so that's yeah. when when I asked about his demeanor he seems like a Tim Duncan guy he seems like Love he knows every connection. single thing that's going to go on on the court because he's a student of the game and he's not talking the loudest because he's watching it he's absorbing it all yeah and his basketball IQ I, definitely reminds me of a Tim Duncan go ahead yeah I think that's you no know, I think Scott that's a, a good uh, comparison you know, obviously, he'd love to see for his professional aspirations a spot-up game, and, and few had him like Tim Duncan. It's I, I coming, Alan. You know, it's but, coming. But I do think he has—he does have that very quiet demeanor, of just just playing. You know, he doesn't doesn't talk a lot on the court. He gets frustrated now and then when he gets poked in the poked all over the place, which he's had. But uh, he did, and he had blood running down the side of his face at Ohio State, and uh, and, and didn't even notice that. <laughs> He just he just does the job, and, and he's turned into also a very very. And, and I understand he's seven four, but uh, sometimes that guy, the guys that sized aren't really good rebounders. He's an excellent rebounder. Alan, he I'm not going to cut you off, but I'm going to cut you off because I'm going to tell you that seven footers very typically are lazy because they're seven footers, and that's one of the things I love about him is he's not. He goes after it. He is just and, and he's funny. He's not. I know he's not a stat stuffer. And I know in the NBA you know a lot more than I do, but in terms of guys, there was those unwritten rules about who could grab the rebound when it was when there wasn't uh, wasn't any uh, contesting going. On. He gets the ball, and he's got other guys on that team that love to rebound too, with uh, Mason Gillis and others. But he he is a guy that uh, just plays, and and I and I think that's a very unique thing. I mean, he's a. He, he, and as I say, and I, and I mean this in a positive way, he's not a circus act. I mean, he's, yes, he's seven foot four, and he's the biggest human that probably most anybody has ever seen when they <laughs> see him for the first time. But this is a guy that just uh, has done everything he's had to do to to make him really, the, in my view, uh, uh, the front runner for National Player of the Year. Alan Carpick's on the mower shop. In Fisher's hotline, themowershop.com. For all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Alan, Friday, Nebraska comes in, as you mentioned. Tough one for the Cornhuskers against Illinois. Then a trip to Michigan State, trip to Minnesota. 
back at home against Maryland. It feels like very early in the season in the Big Ten slate, Purdue and IU are going in completely opposite directions. Your quick assessment on this story, because it is the story in college hoops every single year in the Hoosier State, we didn't anticipate this to be the rhetoric, maybe because of some injuries down in Bloomington. It feels like we don't know what record Indiana is going to walk in to that first matchup on February 4th. This was billed as the return of the rivalry to potential contenders in the Big Ten. And Mike Woodson now has his work cut out for him in Bloomington. Well, I'm going to say this, and this is probably, the, in my view, that's 24 days away from that game. So mm-hmm. a, lot of things, a lot of things can change. And, and sure. obviously injuries have played, played a huge role in what uh, Mike Woodson and company are trying to bring to the table. You know one thing that uh, when Purdue comes to, to Assembly Hall that Saturday afternoon, uh, the, the IU will be loaded for bear no matter who they bring yeah, out. Yeah, hostile. So, yeah, yeah, and Ray Thompson is a terrific player. Uh, you know, you, you know, you, conversely, and if you're a Purdue fan, you hope this doesn't happen. Purdue's had to deal with these types of things in the past, if you remember the stories of Robbie Hummel and on down the line. Correct. But my point is you don't uh, – you can't minimize what a guy like that uh, means to your your team, and, and and not to mention Xavier Johnson. So, this is a you know Purdue's got to, got work to do. This is not a finished product uh, by any stretch, and I think that it's a product with a very high ceiling. And I think that that's what you saw. Uh, in the second half of the Penn State game, when Purdue is making shots, what they shoot sixty six percent, Allen, in that second yeah, half. Yeah, I mean, and that was maybe statistically improbable. But what they were doing before <laughs> was also uh, didn't make a lot of sense when they're shooting twenty three percent from three or whatever they were doing. So this is a team, though, going to be really hard to beat uh, in my view if they make shots. And I suppose that's true for just about anybody. But if they can make threes. You know, and with Zach Eady, and again, just like everybody else, you know, you got to keep Zach Eady healthy, and you got to keep everybody. You know, but Purdue's a lot of a lot of moving parts, and I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about this team is there are guys that are that are not deep down the bench, but maybe eight or nine Trey Kaufman Wren, yeah. who didn't get to do a lot at, at, at the Palestra, but he'll come back probably this week and, and get a chance to do you know do things they see. When you win, everybody seems to be happy, and, uh, <laughs> and they're a good group of guys. So, long story short, I'm bullish on where the Boilermakers are. I think they got a great chance to to do very, very well in the Big Ten, and, and hopefully for Purdue fan get to the NCAA tournament and do well there. But uh, uh, still, a long way to go. Alan, as we've encouraged Purdue fans across Central Indiana to do this year, enjoy the ride with this. This was much more of a surprise than the success of last season alongside top five pick Jaden Ivey. Uh, even more so, you know, the years when you go back to the Carson Edwards teams and oh, uh, yeah, and the late great Caleb Swanigan. This is a much more out of the blue script for Purdue and to be sitting third in the nation, 15 and one at the top of the Big Ten. Life continues to be good for Matt Painter. Please give Alan a follow on Twitter at Alan Carpick, K-A-R-P-I-C-K, publisher of goldenblack.com. Alan, looking forward to your recaps and insights against Nebraska, and we'll be following along the rest of the way, all right? All right, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Alan, tell big fella I'm a big fan of his. (laughs) All right, I will. I will, Scott. Thanks so much. Indy, the wait is over. Pacers, Knicks, it means something again. We're going to the Garden tonight. 7.30 tip-off. Scott Pollard's in studio. Charlie Clifford Wish TV. We cannot wait any further to bring on 
the man when it comes to basketball across the association. He does not miss a story. He does not miss a storyline. He is Rob Perez at Worldwide Wob on Twitter. Many of you have followed along for years. Wob, appreciate you joining us on very short notice here. You're simply the man. And I want to start with this. The last time a Pacers-Knicks regular season game felt like this. When was that, Rob? First of all, I knew you guys were going to do that. I, I, I forgot it was Tom Hammond that made the call that night <laughs> with, with Reggie Miller. And I knew I was going to get trapped by an Indy, Indianapolis radio station. The setup, it worked. Me back, it worked. Taking me back to that fateful – it wasn't a fateful night. It was a fateful day. And I remember it specifically because I was in attendance at that game. And I was young. And my dad wanted to leave to beat the traffic. So we don't, there is no Twitter. There is no Facebook. There is no social media. There's, there's newspapers don't come out till the next day. And they don't even put graphics of the scoreboard on the television screen. Right. So I don't find out that the Knicks lost this game until we get to Grand Central Station going back home. <laughs> and I'm... Now you see. Now you see why I am the way that I am today. Why I have trust issues because <laughs> that very moment. But thank you for taking me back to that. But you beat the traffic. That's wonderful. <laughs> um, but I think your original question there was when was the last time in the yeah. Pacers game mattered? And mm-hmm. I, I think you have to be a certain age. Um, you know, I'm I'm a little bit older than the traditional NBA audience nowadays, but. Uh, every game between the Pacers and Knicks in the 90s was, you know, hell in a cell in a lot of ways. And while the Knicks kind of faded into irrelevancy in the 2000s, the Pacers were still Paul George, Aaron, eventually the Roy Hibbert block on Carmelo Anthony. That brought it back a little bit. Sure. And it's nice to get some some juice back in these games because that was, uh, I forgot, what was it? They, they called it, it was a Knicks versus Hicks was the back, the yes. back page of the post or something yes. back in the day. So just the, the cultural differences between the two cities, Reggie Miller, um, you know, it's it's got the perfect combination for a rivalry. But what's necessary is both teams got to be good and both teams haven't been good at the same time and in nearly a decade plus. So for the Pacers to be this upstart team, kind of blue collar team, that is the embodiment of what they represent. And then you go to the Knicks that is also, you know, made their made their name being blue collar type of players with Ewing, Starks and, and Oakley back in the day. Right. That's what you got now with their current roster. That's just a long winded way of me saying, you know what, maybe this is the time that we can Let's start go. caring about this robbery again. Let's go. Rob, because this is Scott Pollard, because the, the, the Knicks haven't been good for so long, I've got a lot of friends that are Knicks fans. They're New Yorkers and, they're, you know, they're jerks. Um, <laughs> but they uh, are, are people getting behind this team. You know, they like it takes them a long time to, to hate the Knicks, but now they hate them. Are, are the fans coming back yet, or are they still just like, ah, they still suck? Hmm. How much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> Let me let me say this because Knicks fans are just naturally a grumpy bunch. Yeah. We feel like our we had one of the best teams in the nineties that just couldn't get past Michael Jordan like so many others. And then we ran into Hakeem Olajuwon in, in nineteen ninety four and in ninety five, you know, at some point too. Mm-hmm. Missed our chance and then, you know, I haven't had a title since, you know, well before I was born. And it just it's this the same as being a New York Mets fan. There's always just a dark cloud of impending doom that has you that has you like not ever really detaching far from earth. So while they go on these eight game winning streaks and things like that, you're you're excited about it, but you're not like clearing the canyon of heroes down Broadway in, in lower Manhattan to uh to prepare this team for a parade. 
So when you ask, are Knicks fans like rallying the troops and fixing bayonets to get into the trenches to go to war? My answer is just look at the all-star balloting. Uh, if you go to the front court and then in the back court in the Eastern Conference, th- the biggest city in this country did not vote Julius Randle. It's D. Rose, Jill. right, Rob? Did D. Or, Rose or make Jill. that list? Yeah, Derek Rose made the list. So <laughs> R.J. Barrett, Jalen, and Derek Rose made the list because he has an international fan base like the size of Taylor Swift. So that T- Derek Rose does not count. But uh, R.J. Barrett, Jalen Brunson, and Julius Randle don't make the top ten in voting. This isn't if they're going to make the All-Star game or not because they may ultimately do so. But they didn't make the top ten in voting in the biggest city in America. So if you're asking is this – fan base like super excited to be three games over 500 on a team that's in the answer i think quite frankly is is no but that doesn't mean they're not watching or caring we're just doing it in a very unique way we're in the drive hubler.com studios this is the mower shop hotline brought to you by the mower shop.com rob perez kind enough to join us you follow him on twitter rob three weeks ago the knicks come to indy close game Tyrese Halberton and co falter late. Wally Zerbiak, you know, makes the statement that Tyrese is a wannabe all-star. He redacts that later. You know, look, it was just a nice piece of juice for a franchise here in Indiana that no one's talked about really since Victor Oladipo went down in early January, now three years ago. And the last glimmer of hope with with that team was put to bed. Your thoughts on what Wally said and ultimately how that's helped Tyrese Halliburton kick it into a different gear. TJ McConnell said it yesterday at practice. Look, we've been a different team since that happened, and now we get the stage tonight at the Garden. Uh, Rick Carlisle's team is going to play tonight like it's a playoff game, I assume. Tibbs' squad will do the same. My my first thought is it's just a microcosm of our society today that if you just say something really loudly, you know, people will engage with it. And it <laughs> becomes a thing because it spreads fast on social media and Twitter. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you become the villain of a city for just an unsolicited comment that, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to say he meant malice by it. Sure. He's in the content business and like anyone else out there. Yep. If your microphone is loud enough and big enough, then... Um, <laughs> then, you know, people are going to hear it. And yep. that's always kind of been his MO as an analyst as well. You know, he's, he's a big Knicks fan. I think he's from Long Island originally. It just checks all the boxes. But I'm, I'm tired from it. I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm tired of seeing him talk about it. And I'm tired of hearing the Pacers are using it as fuel in the locker room as a result. And I don't blame them because it's, you know, it was a, an unnecessary comment. But now you've given this upstart team another reason to, like, start start it's us versus them you know right. it's the the best place to keep a team like that is irrelevancy and, and apathy will prevent the players from you know uniting and uh now that you've invaded their lands the way that wally zerbiak has now you're gonna have to show up and, and fight a war tonight at madison square garden and the garden alone by the way has this natural ability to bring the best out <laughs> yes. everyone yes. i'm sure scott can attest to this that when you're playing in the garden it's just it really is just an amphitheater of basketball. You know, yep. they call it the Mecca. Yep. And you add all of these things, the old Pacers rivalry we were just discussing and these comments, and then all of a sudden you're going to get the best Pacers effort of the season tonight probably. Yeah, it, it's it's almost like it's a six-man for the other team. 
<laughs> because of the history and any player that does pay attention to the history. But I do, Rob, I have a question for after the game because I had a tradition. Every time I played in the garden, it was a special thing for me because my dad played there and I always wore his cufflinks. I told Charlie this earlier on the show. But um, after the garden, I would always – get changed as quickly as possible, get the interviews over as quickly as possible because before the bus left the arena, I used to run across the street to a special pizza place. Uh, and it's not a special pizza place. It's a chain. But is it still there? Is Sabaro still Sbarro. there across the street? Uh, I, I knew you were going to say Sabaro. And the moment you started setting up this story, now I'm thinking of Michael Scott. Yes. In the office just getting Time to get of, me a New York slice. Yeah. Yeah. Got to get me a New York slice. So, so I believe Sabaro is still very much there. Their sausage is very unique, those little, like, ball sausages that they drop on top of it. Yep. And, uh, you know, for a chain pizza place, it's, the New York version is, is really it's, – it's, it's not New York pizza, but it's, uh, it's different. It's there. And yeah. uh, it's, it's really funny to hear that, uh, you know, I came all the way here for a New York slice. And I, I got to get out of this locker room. So people are like, oh, where are you going? Sal's? You going to Joe's? I'm like, no, I'm going to Sabaro. Hey, <laughs> like that. proximity is a concern. Back in the day for that. Yeah, I'm not saying it's it's the best pizza. I'm just saying it became a tradition because it was right across the street. Uh, I wish there was a oh, better yeah. place across the street. But I just remember that that was like the most economical as far as time that we could get to and still get back on the bus without the bus and their coaches going, hey, where were you? you we we got to go. Wob, you've unearthed some of the best behind-the-scenes stories in your time in terms of the Twitter takeover that's transpired here over the last six to seven years. Do you have a favorite Scott Pollard-involved Kings story or a team from that era? We are often looking at each other and pulling up old things of Scott being in a complete wild man, specifically in those Kings-Lakers series. Uh, what comes to your mind first and foremost from that era of hoops? Cowbells. <laughs> the Maloof uh, brothers. The Maloof brothers. Oh, my God. The Maloof, Maloof brothers. Uh, jerseys with the proper trim on them. I think he was during the champion era as well. So just these gorgeous, like the, the King's logo with the little crown on top of the I or something or the K, wherever it was. And you're getting out there and trying to, Scott has to use all six of his fouls within about, let's call it seven minutes. He's getting the ball down on the block. That was and just bias. Honest, anyone that the Kings send out there is pretty much uh, is is bait for for Shaq. So I just remember Scott going to the bench with a graphic that said two minutes, five fouls. And you know what? That's not your fault. You are just one of many many victims that fell to the to the unprecedented athleticism of that monster guy. And uh, yeah, that's uh that was that was a time. Every time I and it's funny I'm talking to Scott now because like I'm a big Survivor fan as well. And uh, I think of Scott first and foremost with that Survivor season. But I'm like, oh yeah, he played in the end. That 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 happened too. And then you know what? Pretty decent career. So yeah, that's that. All right. Hey, um, one question. Do you remember, and it has everything to do with the Kings and the, the Knicks, there was a movie, did you ever see How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Yeah, once upon a time. Yeah. You'd have I, to remind me of the... Uh... There's clips of us playing against each other like it was the NBA Finals. Knicks-Kings? Knicks-Kings. Oh, I would have loved and to see that movie, with Sprewell on your team. That I'm heavily featured. 
for whatever reason, I think Vladi was out, and I think Chris Weber was out because he was out partying. Um, but I think that they, for whatever reason, I'm pretty heavily featured in the footage, and I didn't know I was going to be in the movie. So that brings me back. When you started mentioning the King stuff, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because back then, they were on the uptake. Like There was promise that the Knicks might be good, and so they took clips from us because they set the story in the movie in New York, and they they took clips from us. And, of course, we didn't know because if they use more than five players, they don't have to let any individual players know. They just buy the footage from the NBA. So we had no idea. I had friends calling me like, how much did you get paid for that movie? I was like, <laughs> Zero. Uh, none. That, that would be a big donut. But anyway, <laughs> if you haven't seen it or, or you haven't, don't remember it, no big deal. But No, do you, um, before, before I let you guys go, do you have any uh... – because I, I do a weekly show with Rasheed Wallace now, and you guys certainly overlapped in your days of trying to conquer the Lakers. Do you have any good Rasheed Wallace stories that oh, you want me to bring thank up? Thank you, Rob. This is oh, brilliant. Man. We played against each other in high school, college. Not college, because he was at North Carolina. We never played against North Carolina. but You played but, Sheed in high school? Yeah, at the Myrtle Beach Classic. <laughs> in what? South Carolina, yeah. Myrtle Beach. We played against each other in high school. We flew all the way from Washington State, because I was there my senior year, to Myrtle Beach to play in this tournament. Uh, and we played against each other that year. And then um, was he know, assessed any pros. technical fouls during the Myrtle <laughs> Beach class? He was a great interview, even in, in even in high school. <laughs> you know, whoever taught him uh, the get the ball and hold it above your head with both hands every time you get a rebound deserves half of his paycheck i mean that was a genius move by whoever taught him to do that and if he just did it by himself then he's a genius because that was one of the things i always loved about his game is that he always kept the ball away from little guys like you naturally bring the ball down everybody does and i would always chin it because that's where i was strongest but that's my rashid wallace story is that that he always got the ball every time he got a rebound and he would just keep his arms fully extended above his head with the ball so nobody could get it and it was great because he's a seven-foot guy, and um, he, we didn't interact a whole ton because we just played against each other. He was a talker. I was not much of a talker. I was a I was a sarcastic guy. I would talk to the fans that would <laughs> chant stuff in the crowd, especially in the garden. That was one of my favorite places to play uh, because I'd come over with two foul or five fouls in two minutes, and they, you know, the Knicks <laughs> plenty faithful, of time to chat. Yeah, they start they start hollering at me. It's like, oh yeah, yeah why'd you have so many fouls? Well, I was tired because I was hanging out with your mom all hey, night. Last yeah, night, hey Ben know. Stiller, you're five four. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, well, yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're doing a live show here in Los Angeles this Friday, and that's going to be one of the first things that I bring up is uh, tell me about this Myrtle Beach Classic. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, I talked to Scott Pollard about it. That's going to be one of the first things we talk about for sure. So thanks for sharing that, Rob. Right. We'll be tuning into that. Appreciate you jumping on. If I could quickly get one last thought from you, put on your tinfoil cap. Again, at Worldwide Wob on Twitter, you probably already follow him, so that's not breaking news. Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin your crystal ball of where this Pacer team not only goes the rest of this year, but the now next two to three years in Indianapolis. What have you gathered from Rick Carlisle's club? They put themselves in the best position possible to succeed being a small market. The only way you're going to do that is by building within the draft or making trades for young players that eventually um, evolve and develop into stars the way that Paul George did. Um, I think that formula has has worked for many franchises. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you look at you look at the Spurs in the past. You look at the way the Bucks did with Giannis, and now all of a sudden they're household names. So just time and support for these two guys, which are clearly have ceilings, which I can't see that high. Um, <laughs> and they, you know, they're put together here, and you start if you start building something that's you know what we're one A lister away from being legitimate title contenders again. There will be an A lister at some point that's like you know what I want to win and I want to get paid. And this place has 
Indiana's one of the two teams that's currently under the salary cap, so I can get it from them. You know, the way that you're going to do that, you're going to have to check a couple more boxes in some of those major cities in desirable locations like Miami and Los Angeles, but you knew that already, and the way to do it is with winning. So they're, they're headed the right direction. They, they have their assets in place. They have control of their players. That's the most beautiful part about that Tyrese Halliburton trade is yeah. you not only get him for his rookie deal, but you're going to have him for almost a half decade thereafter as well. So just the control of these players that you would normally lose in free agency right. is not going to be the case with Mather and, and Halliburton. So that's why you, sh- you guys should be excited is you don't have to be all in in the next couple of years. You can really see if these guys are meant to be the stars that so many of you believe them to be. He's your favorite follow across the association on Twitter, Underdog Fantasy, Rob Perez. Please check out his podcast. That's what Sheed said. That's right. Rashid Wallace and Rob Perez now teaming up on a new pod. Rob, all the best. Again, thank you for your insight, and we'll be uh, enjoying your commentary tonight as the Pacers head back to the Garden, all right? You got it, guys. Good luck. Good news, Pacer fans. Spike Lee will take his seat courtside tonight at the Garden, knowing that the bad blood between these two former heated rivals returns tonight. Scott Pollard, Charlie Clifford of Wish TV, Eddie Garrison. We are joined by the host of the world's greatest Pacer postgame show, the greatest postgame show, period, Eddie White. Eddie, you're... Pre-game emotions, knowing that Knicks Pacers, you you give me the, the proper perspective of what tonight feels like for you. Well, I think we all hope it's just another chapter uh, of a of a long book that uh, you know five chapters ago was on fire. The last <laughs> couple chapters have been kind of boring. Uh, but as someone who's been around, you know, been this, seen these games go, I mean, I remember I'm going, I love going back to the Hicks versus Knicks days, which I thought was just this absolutely incredible because it was portrayed. I mean, on the back of the New York post, they had like a, like a Beverly Hillbillies, Jed Clampett, like truck, and had all the Pacers <laughs> players on it. And it was, you know, Hicks versus Knicks. When in reality, if you had put a tractor at midcourt, let's go way back in the day at Madison Square Garden or Market Square Arena, and there was a tractor and said, hey, whoever fixes this tractor gets a W in the series. It would be the Knicks because Oakley and Starks were country guys. Who did we have? We had Mark Jackson, New York. Chris Mullen, New York. Our owners were from New York. Our GM, Donnie Walsh, was from where? New York. I mean, they had the, they had the, the, the farmers. We had more city slickers than they did, but it was perceived as Hicks versus Knicks and, of course, Reggie versus Spike. And right. then I still, that, that Larry Johnson four-point play uh. still is, 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 is painful to me. <laughs> it's it's like you know this is but this is why this is why we're fans and this is why mm-hmm. when we see somebody with Scott's talent go out and perform like he did and we marvel at it and we live with it and we die with it and we become passionate about it because we remember these things we remember and and, and weirdly I like coaches we remember the bad stuff probably more than we remember the good stuff but uh, it's been a long great rivalry and hopefully with um, you know both teams kind of on the rise here it uh, it, it takes another chapter now eddie correct me if i'm wrong but um rick smith's is a mechanic so if your tractor's broken i think rick might have been able to chip in there somehow (laughs) the flying dunking dutchman was a mechanic 
he's, well, he's, he's in the bikes and you know motorcycles. He might have been, been, been able to go with the deer might he might yeah. be good with the tractor. But I mean if they went old school, old school tractor, remember Rick Rick's not gonna fix it. He'll fix a motorcycle. Yeah. But I mean Starks, I mean Starks is the only guy in both teams that could ride a donkey. I mean Starks was a freaking cowboy. I mean but it was, know it's, it's been a great rivalry. Great rivalry. Eddie, it got a little external fuel with the Zerbiak comment. You know, look, it's been fun to chat about it externally. It, it sounds like maybe it was a little bit of a boost behind the scenes. I mean, look, Hal Burton's been different in crunch time since that game. Your thoughts about his growth. You've seen Paul George jump onto the scene. You've seen Reggie jump onto the scene. You saw for a very brief period, Victor Oladipo jump on the scene. Tell me what may be a little different about Tyrese Halliburton in, in his maturation in a very short amount of time. What's the story on that? Yeah, it's been short. And, and you know, you hope with anything, you hope people don't change. Uh, but I think the one word you, you get with this guy is he's like real. Yeah. You know, I know, I know people use the word authentic. I'm not smart enough. Too many syllables. Uh, but real, it's like, you know, when, before he, you know, he, he came, he joined us, you know, halfway through last year, and we weren't quite sure what we had. You know, saw a couple of good things. And in this off season, uh, we took him around to uh, different inner city playgrounds. Just it was like a surprise thing. It was kind of cool where where the people like with, with the parks department they knew yeah. we were coming. I remember seeing spot. you out there that day. That was but fun. The people didn't know, right? The people didn't know. No, and you know, we told them, and, and to see the, to see him get out of the van. I was kind of the hype man. I never, thought, I never thought I'd add hype man to my resume, but I could jump out with a freaking uh, blowhorn there, and I'm telling me, hey, what are you guys doing out there? You want a little help? Hey, how about Tyrese Halliburton? And he comes out, and his engagement, whether it was with the kids or the parents or, or the older, quote-unquote, kids he was playing with, like on our last stop, was real. And, 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 and you're like, holy smokes, can this guy be the real deal? And you see how young he is, you know, mm-hmm. and you're like, wait a minute. Uh, and I think it starts with him, and you've seen it. I mean, you know, listen, could we win the World's Championship? this year probably not but you know you never know uh but i mean are we getting better are we better than people thought yeah absolutely are we fun absolutely and uh i think it all starts with him and then you have all the other pieces of the puzzle yeah they're all gelling quickly and it, it seems like you know obviously everybody the expectations were low for the season and they're ahead of schedule and a rebuild of course uh jump based on this start it's january though and they're a young team are they wearing out do you think are they is the doldrums of the season getting to them at all or they still have the energy that's a great question, Scott. You might be predicting the future. Uh, uh, look, Scott, let's, let's first answer your question. You and me, we, we walk into a room. I mean, we, we're, we're magnetic. You know that. When it's a cigar bourbon thing, we, <laughs> you and me walk in. We, we do the cigar bourbon parties, what Halliburton has done to the Pacers. We, we know that. So we have a sense of what, what he's going to hear. But you know this season, and you know these young players, especially the rookies. Not only do we have rookies, we have rookies that are playing. Not only do we have rookies that are playing, we have, we have one that's starting, okay? And you know you get to this point of the season, uh, you don't heal as quick, right? Yep. The practice is a little bit harder to get through. Something, you get a bump, you got a bruise, and you don't have to be a rookie. Look at look at McConnell the other day, get a little bump, and he's like, hey, I missed too many games last year. I'm playing. So they, they work through it, and, and you're going to have the, it's the grind. I mean, they're used to playing college seasons with 25, 30 games, maybe 32, yep. if, you, if you get into your postseason. Well, hell, we're gonna, they're going to be playing 80. That's after some, some preseason games, and 
hopefully some playoff games. So the the bumps and the bruises, and you alluded to it there, the, the, and, and the, the second half of the schedule, if you look at it, is a little bit more difficult than the first half. So you had the bumps and bruises. So temper anybody that thinks we're going to go on some you know thirty win back thing here and, and be <laughs> first or second to play in the East. Hold on a second. You take them one at a time and knock on wood. We've been relatively healthy this year, and you hope that that continues. Pacers 23 and what? 18 in midway mark, 15 and 7 at home. It's Eddie White, host of the world's greatest post-game show, joining us now on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers, the mowershop.com, all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Eddie, people forget that young Rick Carlisle was an assistant back in the day for Larry when Things were mixing up at the Cardinals scuffle between Ewing and Jalen Rose in the corner under the basket. He's seen the chapters that we're still reveling in. Your thoughts on probably the emotions that are going to hit Rick during starting lineups tonight, knowing he is one of the most exciting teams in the NBA. That's on a perfect path if you're a smaller market club going into the Mecca. Uh, your thoughts on how Rick handles moments like that because you've spent more time close to this man than than most in this town since he's come back for chapter number two. Well, the the word emotion could be described maybe me because I'm like psychotic. I'm like uh, nuts. But uh, <laughs> I think the key to Rick is he's kind of an even keel guy and I, he never lets the emotion get to him. But where you really got to see the brilliance of Rick Carlisle is, listen, the, for people Rick's age and my age, uh, you have to change with the times. The world has changed. Everything. Pick a, It's like Jeopardy. Pick a subject. Geography, politics, sports, whatever. It has changed from when we were younger. And you have to change with the world. And the great ones, whether it's a player or a coach or it's a manager of a company or you're a politician, a mayor, a governor, whatever, you change. And, yep. and you're successful in the change. And I think the beauty of Rick Carlisle is he has changed. He, he, he may have been old school back in the day, and and now he's, because Larry was certainly old school, and now he's kind yes. of come in where he's more of like this older figure, but he gets these guys. He gets, you know, Kevin Pritchard tells the story of, you know, usually you come in after a game, you sit there and you, you talk five minutes about what good happened, what bad happened, bada bing, bada boom, and you go forward. Well, the other night we had one of these great games, it was a great last second shot or something like that, and the dunk, and they spent the first couple minutes just watching the dunk. It was like a high school, it was like a college locker room. <laughs> I love that's it. What, that's what Rick felt was the vibe of the room. Well, it takes somebody who is so secure in themselves as a successful person. What they do, again, whether you're a mayor, a governor, a politician, that you run a company, or you're a basketball coach, to be secure in yourself, to say, hey, I'm going to let this moment savor. This is the right thing for these guys. And he has done that. You look at the way he built his coaching staff uh, and the way they coach. He's, he's certainly different. He's won a lot. He has the credibility. He got the ring. But I think he has, he has changed with the times, and I don't think he's ever been a better coach than he is right here at right now. And he just happens to have a very young, right. looks like, talented team. You know, he's not coaching the, the, the team with Nowitzki and some really good players on it. Yeah. He's coached the younger team. So he might be the perfect coach at the perfect time uh, for us as we develop and try to get better. Eddie White, that's right on the money. Do you have a quick spike story for us? Look, again, if you're just joining us, Eddie White's here. The Pacers are 8-2 and two since losing to the Knicks at the Fieldhouse. They're going to the Garden tonight, 7-30. We're absolutely amped about it here on the fan. 
You you have a go-to spike story, Eddie? Come on, you have to have something no, in that not, Rolodex. It, it's it's always the ones that like people don't want to hear. It's like you know the, the, our market. You know, we, we Spike Lee is is an enemy. Bill Belichick is an enemy, and it's like I'm like, I'm sitting there going, uh, no, they're both really nice guys. I mean, you get to know them. <laughs> yep. uh, Belichick is a riot. I mean, he's funny. Belichick can talk rock music. He he's a great guy to have dinner with, and you know. But I get it. I get it. Right? In, in this market, they're Darth Vader. You know, they're with the other team, which is fine. But I mean, at their core, they're they're not bad people. I mean, they they're both very good at what they do. And Spike Lee just happens to be a big super fan of the other team. And and even him and Reggie, you knew that was all good natured. I mean, come for on. sure. I mean, Reggie ended up Reggie and his wife at that time ended up doing stuff with Spike Studio, and and so I mean, they're and Spike was it was in Reggie's documentary back and forth. So I mean, a lot of times that's for us. The fans, it's for the media, blah 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 blah. But you know, it, it's not exactly professional wrestling. Where you know the two guys are sitting, you know, the, having a, a cigar and a beer before they go out, and then they go out and kill each other in front of people. But uh, it's probably a lot closer than we think. I think a lot of people. Res- I think it's respect. Eddie, you, res- you, res- you respect the people conf- you go to war. Confirm with. this for me. I remember being a, a youngster yeah. at Conseco. It would have been year one at Conseco, two thousand Eastern Conference Finals. I believe upon admission to those games, they would hand out stickers with Spike's face with a big red cancel sign over it to every paying patron walking in to watch the series that the Pacers eventually won. Do you remember that? Is that accurate, or am I, I misremembering I, that? I don't remember that. I mean, who may have? Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Remember when? Remember when Michael came back? When Jordan came back in that game, there was the Wheaties was outside. That one one card, one they gave you up these cards, and one had Reggie on the side with the Wheaties logo, and the other had Michael on the side with the Wheaties logo. I think I still might have one of them. It's uh, worth but, something. Uh, but, but yeah, maybe. But yeah, I, I have no idea if they've, if they've given that stuff up. But you know, you, you, you play the angles. It's like it's like the whole Zerbiak thing. I mean, the kid Wally apologized two days later. Yeah. But you, as you know, as a coach or a player, you look for motivation. Hundred I mean, percent. For something that makes you want to go, Scott. I mean, did, did you look for something? I mean, you're motivated anyway. But I mean, did you look for something to kind of make you turn it up a notch? Absolutely, Eddie. That's what I was just talking about. Is is before we had you on, I was saying, you know, this time of year, especially with a young team, anything to motivate you anything to get you to remember what hotel you're in what your room number is what city you're in what time zone you're in and oh by the way i did i do have practice today or i do not have practice today yeah that's that's easy and so the veterans latch onto that and that's what mcconnell's doing he's reminding them of it daily that's being a good vet you know hey remember what wally said yeah tyrese has taken it and he's been classy about it the whole time but really it's just it, it wally is entertainment wally's the wwf guy we're the wwf guys right now <laughs> yeah because we're sitting here not playing we're talking yeah and, and what we're saying is trying to get people to listen and so wally does that that and is wally does that very well and so th- when you when you get too upset and tyrese didn't and that's the greatest thing about a young player that hears the criticism here's criticism based on not a great resume of watching said <laughs> criticism. Uh, and, and, and while he admitted it, while he admitted, like, yeah, hey, yeah, I wasn't watching. I didn't know his, his resume very well. So, yeah, Ed, you know, this time of year, anything to get you up and get you going when, it's, when you're in the halfway point of the season, take it and run with it. Boom. Eddie, Eddie White, thank you for taking the time, and hopefully we'll be hearing your voice after – the clock strikes zero at the Garden. The Pacers make it nine wins in 11 games. There is still room on the bandwagon, Indiana. Eddie White, thanks for hopping on the hotline. 
Anytime, my girl. Anytime, you guys. And Scott, let's get together soon. Uh, I need a cigar. Sounds good. That, that's you need one. You've had three today already. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie White on the Mower Shop from Fisher's Hotline, themowershop.com. All your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Get to themowershop.com. I'm going to say this about Mr. Ursay. I love working for him. He's a good man. He's a good owner. He has a lot of experience in this league. And we talk about everything. Look, we don't always agree. Like, if we're agreeing all the time, I'm not doing my job. If I'm sitting here just, you know, I mean, and I don't, I think y'all have been around me long enough to know that, like, it just comes out. <laughs> like, sometimes even when I don't want it to, it just comes out. Like, I'm going to be honest and tell you what I think. And I'm very honest with him about what I think. And he's very honest and direct with me and at the end of the day um there's some decisions that i'll make and you say good you know okay chris i don't completely agree with that but go let's move forward and there's some decisions that he'll make that i'll say look i don't completely agree with that but we'll move forward but when we make one we make it and we make it together and we move forward mr ursay lets me do my job chris ballard has admitted he will change in terms of how he builds a team in the national football league He has admitted failure. He has admitted he needs to look inward and find a way to, quite honestly, save next season in order to save his job yet again in Indianapolis. The question now becomes, will Jim Ursay change? And that's why Bob Kravitz of The Athletic joins us this afternoon on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers, themowershop.com. All your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools, get to themowershop.com. Scott Pollard, Charlie Clifford of Wish TV, Eddie Garrison. Bob, just within the past hour, you posted your latest column taking an inside look at Jim Ursay's portion of this story. Uh, what are the major takeaways from what you've gathered here now, 72 hours after one of the worst seasons in franchise history has come to an end? Yeah, well, c- clearly Jim got way too meddlesome this year. Um, I've been here 22 years and can never remember a season where, where Jim insinuated himself into the process. I mean, he's always been um, involved. He's always been a, a confidant. He's always been a sounding board. Sometimes he's been a rubber stamp. But for the most part, he has allowed his people to do what they do. He, he's let his football people take care of the football team. And I thought that I don't know what changed. Uh, I've had people tell me that they think that his uh, criticism of Daniel Snyder, which was met with a lot of applause, mm-hmm. uh, em- emboldened him in some way. But for whatever reason, Jim's been, been on this kind of strange power trip, Yeah, along with the fact that I think he lost faith both in Ballard and Reich and has uh, gotten too involved, and he needs to take a step back and let Chris Ballard try to fix what's been broken. Do you think that that is uh, an internal discussion they had? It's like, all right, I'm going to keep you, but you're on a short leash just to continue the power trip, or do you think he's really actually going to just let him? Like, if they start out poorly next year, is he going to get fired? You know, um, I don't think so. I'll tell you why, Scott. Money. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, he he got an extension. Both him and Frank Reich got extensions till 2026. And I'm convinced the only reason that Chris is still here is that Jim didn't want to pay two guys mm-hmm. millions of dollars to do absolutely nothing. 
on his dime. So uh, I do think, though, that if they really struggle, Jim might get involved again. And that's not a good thing because what this next team is going to need is patience with what we all presume will be a rookie quarterback. Bob, you alluded to the change behind the scenes for Jim Ursa. I go back to when those extensions for Frank Reich and Chris Boward were given out. There was a bit of an epiphany for Jim Ursay at Peyton's Hall of Fame induction where he saw the Steelers' model of consistency and trust at both the head coaching and decision-making positions. And and he saw that view. He knew he had two high-class individuals that were experts in their fields with Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. He spoke to that at training camp when those extensions were announced. And now you've segued to what we've heard most recently from Jim Ursay saying, Al Davis is my biggest influencer, quoting Davis. I mean, he's he's giving some pretty big hints here about, you know, this chapter of his ownership. And it feels like anything that Al would do, Jim is going to do. Am I am I approaching something that sounds factual at that point? Yeah, I mean, I think Jim fancies himself as one of the old school owners, you know, one of the guys who protects the shield and all that nonsense. But, you know, like Rooney, like Mara. I'm not sure the Al Davis thing came from, to be honest with you, except he likes just win baby, you know. But I think what changed everything, guys, is the Carson Wentz signing. I I think that Jim was not completely on board when that decision was made, Mm -hmm. but he let his guys do their thing, and Carson Wentz turned out to be a small disaster. You know, a small disaster, not a – not a you know epic disaster. I mean, no. they were nine and six before things went south, and he did throw twenty-seven touchdown passes to seven interceptions. But I think he lost faith in those guys once uh, Carson Wentz uh, failed to pan out. And I think what happened this year was really an extension of that. Look, Bob. In terms of what we heard from Chris Ballard yesterday. What did you want to hear that you ultimately didn't hear from Chris Ballard in his season-ending press conference? You know, I thought he touched all the bases. I mean, he took 47 questions for crying out loud. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, you know Chris, Chris fell on his sword. Mm-hmm. He did everything that Jeff Saturday didn't do. You know, I like Jeff a lot. Yeah, I've we all do. Years, but I thought that he was in the excuse-making business. On Monday, uh, you know, I didn't have my own coaches. I didn't have a full coaching staff, yada, yada, yada. Look at the way they did things here before I got here. I I couldn't have fixed this if I tried. Um, I thought that Chris was, uh, you know, accepted culpability for what happened. Uh, I just thought the way he sat down and said, the first thing he said was, I failed. Yeah. Right to the point. What else can you ask yeah. for yeah. From, from, a gen, from a general manager? He he totally took the blame. He deserves a lot of it. A lot of it goes on Ursay. But, you know, I would like to see Ballard uh, given back the power that he once had. I thought though that quote that you played, that, that tape, mm-hmm. was – Chris Ballard saying, hey, I'm not going to rip the guy who writes my paycheck. (laughs) Of course. I mean, you know, he'd be completely crazy. At one point, I thought he may just say the hell with this and and quit. 
I thought the night Jeff got hired, the night Jeff got hired, Bob, you do not have to be a PhD in reading body language. I've never seen a general manager in any setting, you know, he was pissed. There was no way around it. He he looked like he'd rather be having a proctology exam that (laughs) night. Oh, to God. And I, I guarantee you, you haven't heard proctology on this stage for a very long time. <laughs> Bob, uh, speaking of that and, and that decision back then, but also the words he used yesterday, I'm hearing uh, a general manager saying, no, I, he lets me do my job. Uh, Mr. Ursay's a listener was repeated multiple times yesterday or in the press conference. Do you think that's true? Do you think no. he's, he's – yeah, right? Like, Ursay's no. going to keep meddling, and and because of the thing that you said, he's he's got a paycheck. He's got he's got money invested in this guy. He doesn't want to let him go, but he's certainly like not going to let him free. No, and that, that's that's the problem. That's why I wrote So it's going to be more of the today. same. Yeah, it, it very well could be. Um, I would hope that Jim is self-aware enough to understand – and maybe even read some of what we've all been saying, um, <laughs> that this, this just can't continue because this is the way a bad, a bad franchise is, is run. This is the way Bob or say his father used to run the Indianapolis Colts and that cannot continue and the Baltimore Colts and that, that can't continue. Um, I just think he needs to have his faith restored in Ballard. I, I think Ballard obviously has everything to do with that. And let him, let him get the quarterback that he wants. He said yesterday that he'll do whatever it takes right. to get the guy he wants. He didn't say the quarterback, but I think uh, anybody with uh, a brain <laughs> understands that that's what they're going to do. It's going to be C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or Will Levis. And I'd be completely shocked if they go in a different direction. Bob Kravitz of The Athletic joins us. Please read Bob's latest take on The Athletic. Uh, a a cry from many Colts fans across Indianapolis for, look, just some stability up top in terms right. of the decision making. Bob, interviews have begun. We learned earlier today, Bubba Ventrone, the special teams coordinator, who I thought would have been a complete change of demeanor on the sideline in the middle of the season. I thought it was the easy, obvious choice. They decided, uh, Jim decided to go with Jeff Saturday. I personally didn't really see anything different on the sideline from Jeff Saturday. He's a very positive guy to the tune of Sam Ellinger throws that pick six against the Texans. Jeff Saturday is on the field giving Sam a high five coming off the field there was just no change in terms of what we saw on the sideline I thought Bubba would have been the answer he gets an interview today let me ask you this Jim Harbaugh's name still where Wednesday afternoon it has not surfaced in terms of lining up an interview with the Colts many are confused and wondering if it will ever surface in this process what's your crystal ball say what's going to happen Jim Harbaugh will be a part of this process uh, there was a story, and forgive me if I get it wrong, it might have been Tom Pellicero or mm-hmm. Jim Rappaport, I, I'm not sure, saying that he wanted to step aside for a while and let, let Jeff Saturday, a guy he respects a lot, let him uh, do his interview and then maybe come in at a later time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you absolutely have to make Jim Harbaugh say no. And I read something else, again, I don't know if it was Pelicero or Rappaport, that 
that's this is the job that Jim Harbaugh wants. You know, Denver's going to make a run at him. Now, why Jim would want this job, I have no idea, <laughs> because of the ownership situation and you don't have a quarterback. But uh, I think this is this is the place he wants to come. I just think you have to you have to make him say no, and then you move on to other candidates. You heard from Ballard yesterday. Of course, they will look at the college ranks. They will also consider those who have no head coaching experience. Ben Johnson, Aaron Glenn. Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday. Ejero Givero, the defensive coordinator for the Broncos, who's done a nice job. Raheem Morris, D.C. with the Rams. uh, Among those who have been requested reportedly, Bob, how how big of a long shot would another outside-the-box coach with no experience at the NFL ranks? To me, that that feels like a very risky proposition for a general manager who knows that this is it. This is his this is his last shot. If what what's your take on if it's if it's not Harbaugh, who they'll be looking at? Well, that that's where it gets real dicey. First of all, Jim wants to make a splash. Of course. You know, Jim, of course. Jim knows uh, that this was a, a hot mess, and he needs to do something to get the fans back. You know, this whole idea with Saturday, how you can possibly sell Jeff Saturday to the fan base is beyond me. Uh, none of those names really intrigue me much, but I say that having not done my um, due diligence on guys like Ibero and people like that. Now, Raheem Morris was a, a head coach. Uh, back in back in the day, I think it was in Tampa. Yep. Um, so he does have that experience, but I I, I just think the the list begins ends with Harbaugh, and if that doesn't work out, I'll tell you another guy that I really like is Dan Quinn. I mean, Dan Quinn has done a great job in Dallas as a DC. He got the Atlanta Falcons with you know a, a, a young Matt Ryan yep. to the Super Bowl and should have won that damn thing. So. <laughs> I, I think Dan Quinn is another guy that they ought to consider real strongly. Bob, you mentioned that Harbaugh would want to come in and make a splash. How's he going to do that with a GM that's on, that's on such a tight leash uh, and, and the decision-making? I mean, any coach, really. Any coach that wants to come in here, well, you're looking at a GM that's that's definitely being played like Pinocchio right now before he became a real boy. And yeah. what's the future in that? And why, why are you sitting here going, oh, yeah, I've got faith in my ability to coach this franchise long-term. I, I don't see it. I think, Scott, that You've got a GM and a new coach who are going to be across purposes. You've got a GM who wants to get this thing fixed now, you know, because he may not have a lot longer to do it. And you've got a coach who's going to probably come in with a rookie quarterback, and we all know what what it takes with rookie quarterbacks. It's I mean, Peyton Manning was three and thirteen his first year. Yeah, this is a three year. This is a three year outlook, Indianapolis. I hope everybody's ready for that. Oh, at, at the very least, at the very least. And you know, I mean, look, occasionally rookies come in and do amazing things. Uh, you know, Andrew Luck was eleven and five with a completely rebuilt team in two thousand twelve. So it can happen. I mean. The, the Steelers, if I'm not mistaken, got to the Super Bowl uh, during Roethlisberger's uh, first or second year. Mm-hmm. So it can, Joe it can Burrow, happen. year two. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Dan Marino. So with special guys, it can happen. The problem, I think, is that you don't have an Andrew Luck in this draft. I think Bryce Young is a real intriguing prospect, 
but he's not. He doesn't have the size that you would hope you get with 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 a, a, a number one pick uh, at quarterback. Stroud looked great uh, in the CFP, but he hasn't done it all year. And Will Levis, you know, he looks like Adonis. He's got a great arm. But, you know, is he going to be Josh Allen or is he going to be something far less than that? Right. So there's not a clear cut, we got to have him kind of guy out there. Not like Andrew Luck or Peyton. I would pay to be in Ed Dodds and Morocco Brown scouting rooms because surely the Colts know who their guy is. And now the question is, do do they do the move with the Bears to go to one? Bob Kravitz will continue to monitor the head coaching search. Please Read him on The Athletic. Bob, appreciate you jumping on today. Great to hear from you and continued success with all your endeavors with the ALS work behind the scenes. Congratulations on all your progress on that department from a uh, philanthropic standpoint. I appreciate it, man. Good talking to you guys.